Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Plumfield in Person. Hi, I'm Diane Pendergraft, and I'm here with Sarah Masaryk, and we have Tanya Arnold with us today to talk about a book that we all love. Yes, we do. We do. We do. <laughs> so if you were listening to our Reading Life episode for May, you will have heard about this book. And then if you listen to our Reading Life episode in June, you will hear that I came back <laughs> to talk about how much I agree and love this book. So I was feeling like odd man out at the last book club because I had never read 101 Dalmatians. And I thought, the movie, the Disney movie, was terrible. I thought it was scary when it wasn't boring and boring when it wasn't scary. And what's interesting is I put a video on Instagram and a lot of people took the time to message or comment that they totally agreed. <laughs> and so a lot of people said, yes, I've always avoided the book because like you, I thought it was awful. And so we are here today to spread the good news that 101 Dalmatians is a gem that is not to be missed. And friends, we don't say that very often, but I think we can all universally agree this is a top 10 family read aloud must do book. Mm -hmm. Tanya, your first time reading it was this year. My first time reading it was this year. But Diane, Mm -hmm. when did you discover Dalmatians? Probably more like 50 years ago. <laughs> I was in grade school and it was a scholastic book. And you still love it today though. I still right? love so it. So for 50 years. So right? yeah, I didn't read it all the time for 50 years, but um when I went back to read it again to re- see if I wanted to review it or use it for my classes, I thought, "Oh, I hope it's still as good as I li- as I thought it was then." And I went, "Oh my gosh, it really is." <laughs> <laughs> What did you love about it as a kid? I think that at the time I was just sort of devouring animal books because like with Mm. the horse books, every little girl wants a horse. I just loved animals. But this one was animals behaving in a way not quite human, but still with that with nobility and courage that you could imagine an animal really having. They didn't do very many things that weren't animal like that they were so courageous and um, the, the stamina, I, I got to save my puppies and it doesn't matter what I have to do. I think I really liked that. And that all of the animals along the way felt the same compulsion to help. Mm-hmm. They had such a rallying cry and to see the nobility and the virtue of all the other dogs and cats who knew that you had to save them, that they had to save the puppies. Mm -hmm. I thought that was Mm -hmm. so endearing. I love what Diane was saying too, because I think whether as a child or as an adult, if you have pets or if you've had a pet, the animals do, they almost feel the way you want them to be or that you imagine. Because we don't know what goes on in our animals' minds, but each animal does have personality. If you've had different dogs or different cats, or maybe you've had a dog and that dog died and then you got a new dog. They're distinctly oh, yeah. different. They have so much personality. And so the book expresses it in a way that is everything you innately believe is really going on in a dog's <laughs> I mind. Think, or that you wish I were. Think that's exactly it. For I think the most endearing quality about this book is if you've ever looked into the eyes of a dog 
And I think you could say this about a horse as well. And you just saw the intelligence in their eyes. You imagine this is exactly how they are, exactly what they would do if they were confronted with these Mm -hmm. terms. My favorite part of the book is when Pongo and Mrs. are taking their pets, the humans, the humans are their pets, taking their pets for a walk and they leash them for their protection. (laughs) (laughs) So now every time we walk our, we have three dogs and every time we walk our dogs, I'm like, after dinner, Greg and I always walk after dinner and Cedar beats us to the door and sits there like, I'm going to leash you up now, mom. (laughs) Let's go, mama. I have to protect you from all the wildlife on the walk. Yeah, and I think we can all relate to that. We currently have a dog in our house, and he is a Patterdale Terrier. Most even veterinarians here in the U.S. have never heard of this breed. It's uh, They are from the U.K. I do not know how we ended up with a very dominant-minded <laughs> terrier breed. That is another story for another day. But the, <laughs> the moment – so my husband works from home. But the moment my husband goes and puts on a certain pair of clothes and a certain pair of shoes, he is on high alert. <laughs> it's walk time. Like, it's go time. <laughs> and it's just, it's funny, right? How, and I think we all love to even watch reels yes. on Instagram or various social media with people sharing their animals because they are so interesting and they are so intelligent and they, you see the affection and it yeah. just, they're yeah. interesting, right? I think we should set the tone, though, for just a second, if you guys don't mind, because I know you're going to love this. I think the reason this book is brilliant is Mm -hmm. a hundredfold. 101-fold. It's (laughs) 101-fold. Yes. But it's the writing. And I think there are those books where they catch you from the very beginning. We've always talked about these books that have that hook line right at the beginning where you are just- I need to know. What, What is happening? Yes. Yep. So first paragraph, right? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Oh, do tell. (laughs) Right? So this book starts like that. The very first paragraph, I think, as a reader, Mm -hmm. you're hooked. She has you from the get-go. So I'm just going to read this for our audience so they can get a feel for the writing and why this story is going to be great, Sarah, you said, as a family read aloud. You could do this and everyone, including your husband driving the car, if you're in a car, is going to be engaged in this story. Not long ago, there lived in London a young married couple of Dalmatian dogs named Pongo and Mrs. Pongo. Mrs. had added Pongo's name to her own on their marriage, but was still called Mrs. by most people. They were lucky enough to own a young married couple of humans named Mr. and Mrs. Dearly, who were gentle, obedient, and unusually intelligent, almost canine at times. They understood quite a number of barks. The barks for out, please, in, please, hurry up with my dinner, and what about a walk? And even when they could not understand, they could often guess. If looked at soulfully or scratched by an eager paw, like many other much-loved humans, they believed that they owned their dogs instead of realizing that their dogs owned them. (laughs) And then Pongo and Missus found this touching and amusing, and let their pink and let their pets think it was true. Oh, that is stellar! Is that not stellar? 
one of the things I loved about it when I read it again as an adult is the way she carries that theme so consistently through the book. I think a lot of times yes. that's it's difficult to do and people sort of stumble on that a little bit, but she did not forget right. whose point of view this book was coming from. Yes. Right. 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 And mm. and look at that opening paragraph. It is the writing structure. It is of high quality. Mm. It is delightful in the mouth to read, right, Tanya? It just sort of, other than the fact that you're laughing through it, it's very easy to read aloud. So we're already presenting a quality of literature to the child or to the family. Now you're taking this idea of inversion, this preconceived idea of how the world is, and we've we've inverted it, but in a charming way, not in a dystopian way, but in a, oh, the dogs own us. And as we'll talk about later, the dogs are leashing us to take us for a walk. It's such a wonderful opportunity to invite our children into an imaginative thought experiment. It bends their brain and tickles their fancy in all the right ways. I was just reading this morning a list of the 100 greatest children's books done by the BBC. Sometimes those things catch mm. me and I accidentally go look at them. <laughs> and then get frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because there's I've never seen 101 Dalmatians on any list of one of the greatest children's books. What happened? Why do you think that with all of the things that we've said about it, which are absolutely true, it doesn't make the lists. It, it just sort of disappeared. Did Disney kill it? I think so, because it was obviously well enough regarded that Disney bought it. And then Disney ruined it and made it slapstick and made it boring and dumbed it down. And can we acknowledge that the sequel is bizarre? The sequel is bizarre. She totally went off yeah. the rails. Yeah. I don't even know yeah, what that a is. New age yeah. weirdo thing. I didn't read it, but I just, you know, we I added it to BiblioGuides just for informational purposes. There is a sequel. It does continue the story. Here's what it's about yeah. so that you would know, you know, do you want to go buy that or not? That. But even the yeah. description of it is so Well, odd. in order to review it's it, I'd have to finish it. <laughs> I didn't think it was worth my time. So that's my review. <laughs> I was going, what? These are not even the animals we knew. And Right. Yeah. So right. I guess I would just yeah. do. So is it a. Is it a combination then of her sequel killed the franchise and Disney ruined what was good? It could be. I don't. So okay. I, I don't even know if at one seeing the movie, people read the sequel because it was several years later. I don't remember how long ago, how, how long afterwards, but it was several years later. Like she was trying to make a comeback mm -hmm. and yeah, just couldn't pull it off. Sure. So 101 Dalmatians was released in 1956, and then The Starlight Barking, which is the sequel, was 1967. Oh, so 11 years so later. So it was a yeah. decade later. Yeah. So I don't disagree about the Disney movie, but I don't 100% sure. agree either um, because I was going to rewatch it, but I could not find where I could rent it, and I don't own it. So I wasn't able to rewatch the cartoon. But I do remember, because I just read this book in April yeah. or May, that when I got to the scene of the puppy that was watching the TV yeah. and you had the two yeah. bad guys watching yeah. the TV too, and the, the way Disney animated the song and the, um, the way I could remember it sure. was a commercial and the way I read it, I could see that in my mind and I just oh. laughed. I just was like, wow, I thought that was... 
I was like thinking that was really well done by Disney because I because I was wondering is the whole TV watching scene mm. in the book or did Disney oh, add that? Oh, sure. Um, it was one of my favorite <laughs> scenes, and the way it played out in the book, I really loved it, and I would like to rewatch it to see how it actually plays out in the movie. Because from in my mind, I thought that section was really well done. Because I do think there's a line where Roger says something. He was playing on the piano in the book and he says, Cruella de Vil, Cruella de Vil. It's basically the song. They took his words and they made the song. And so I do think there were pieces that I thought they really did try to bring that book to life. And so in my mind, the reason the book is not showing up anymore is because the movie replaced it. You know, I hear what you're saying about how you feel the movie was interpreted. We made a list, right, after one of our last Our Reading Lives and we said, what are the Disney cartoons, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. animations primarily that were based off of books? And so we can look at those and say, how many of those did any of us who were primarily in the time right. of watching those actually read those stories? And not just the cartoons, even the live actions. So The Incredible Journey, like we didn't even know The Incredible Journey existed. Right. And I had Disney Channel as a kid and I had never heard of The Incredible Journey until Diane. Yeah, interesting. I watched that one as a kid. And that one's beautiful. That one, th- This is what is so heartbreaking about Disney is mm-hmm. some of their stuff is so beautiful. Like their interpretation of Mary Poppins is a huge improvement <laughs> over the book, in my opinion. The Incredible Journey, I think, is, is reasonably faithful to the text. I love both equally. Mm-hmm. Um, Old Yeller. I, I actually find Old Yeller mm-hmm. to be better on film than in the book. I, f- I feel like I can bear it a little bit better on film. Oh. Do you feel the other way? I'm around, not sure. Or you just can't do old yeller. <laughs> yeah, I mean, old yeller is just painful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or it's an honor that they're both great in different right, mediums, right. right? Because it is so fun to have a book that you love and then be able to to experience it Even in a like different Mysterious medium. Benedict Society right now, the the first book mm-hmm. and the movie are kind of the same. They're they're mostly the same. There's some differences, but mostly the same. And it's actually. I think really brilliant. I mean, they made really different decisions for some of the things, but overall I thought it was kind of brilliant. The second one is wild. The second season is just wild. So this is where Disney breaks your heart because you just don't know, is it going to be marvelous or is it going to be terrible? So when I got the book, it would have been somewhere in the, in the sixties. Well, probably getting closer to the seventies, but I wouldn't have known about it either if Scholastic hadn't picked it up. So Right. I don't, it might have already gone the way of Disney. I don't know when that movie came out, but um, because maybe partly because it was British. Like Edith Nesbitt, you, nobody knows about Edith Nesbitt unless you're in homeschool circles that are reading old British books. Um, so may, maybe you're right. Maybe she, it's, she's just, Dodie Smith is just considered to be an obscure British author who didn't have the, the power that say C.S. Lewis had. So the Disney animation came out Mm. in 1961 Mm. and Scholastic would have been picking it up with one of those original Scholastic paperbacks, probably in the 60s. So Scholastic was probably keeping it alive. But even, you know, 101 Dalmatians is still Mm -hmm. in print today and the story is being told in a million different ways. It's just we're not highlighting the original story. I think we're letting everything else take the place of the the power and beauty of the original story. And it's concerning because you can, we can probably start to find other places where that is happening as well, mm-hmm. where we're missing out on a powerful story because mm-hmm. all of this mark, because now there's just right. marketing around 101 Dalmatians, right? Now we just have like a movie about right. Cruella coming out, out. Yeah. or it came out, right? 
and you we just have all of this product marketed to children, games, dolls, toys, whatever, for it. And you have these cartoons that are coming out and adaptations of the story, but no one's going back to the original. And I just feel like we're kind of in that replacement society where we we just read what's easier, we watch what's quicker to watch, and we don't go back to these original powerful works. And I, what's tragic to me here is that I almost missed out on this. I wish, Diana, I had me read too. this as a kid. I think this would have been one of my very favorite reads for for all the reasons that you said and the more reasons that we're going to share. But and I can mm-hmm. see why Disney chose yes. it. And that was my question. You know, at the time what Disney was doing was yes. revolutionary. Yes. Yes. And he had to choose quality stories to tell. And so I was really intrigued with Mary Poppins when my daughter Kira was 8. I thought, right? I just love Mary Poppins, I know, so we're I going know. to read it. And it horrifying. was a horrifying <laughs> yes. experience reading it aloud. And I remember her mm. – I remember in my head thinking, either I am not educated enough to understand the brilliance of this book because I'm hating reading it aloud to my child. But yet, that was a book that was made into a movie and it's a quote-unquote children's right. classic – or this book is garbage and it's the emperor's clothes and no one is saying that right. this book is garbage. And finally one night and she's sensitive and she's quiet and she just looked at me with tears in her eyes and she said, I just feel like Mary is really she mean, is. mama. And I just said, me mm-hmm. too, baby, me too. Mm-hmm. And we finished it. And I just thought it, it was nothing like the movie and the movie. It's charming. I mean, you can you get her personality, mm-hmm. but it's charming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just thought, why? I felt like. Saving Mr. Banks was like the greatest validation ever. Mm-hmm. My granddaughter devours books. It's hard to believe she even is comprehending anything, but she does. And she was eight or nine when she read that, and she hated it. And she doesn't, mm-hmm. she'll just put a book down if she doesn't like it, oh. and she put that one down. I'm not finishing that, Mom. Do I have mm-hmm. to read this? No. <laughs> You've read 50 other books this year. You don't have to read that one. But, but you know, why that one? Well, I never read Mary Poppins until a few years ago because I had grown up with the movie. And sometimes it's tiring to read a book after the movie if it's really, really close. So I thought, oh, I should read yes. this and find mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And when I did, I was going, really? What is <laughs> I don't understand why this is a classic book. I think this is just a, such a good point of when Things are brought yes. to the screen in some fashion and it revives mm-hmm. it for a new generation. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is when the revival ends at the screen adaptation and it doesn't take us back to Correct. the original story. Correct. And I think that's tragic. So I really have this desire to read a lot of these classics that have been adapted because I just want to see why were they chosen for adaptation and were they true to the story and which one is better? Are they both <laughs> worthy? And 101 Dalmatians is beyond is so worthy. worthy. <laughs> And I feel like moms, if you're listening, yes. I feel a little badly. We've we've talked for quite a while now about things that aren't 101 Dalmatians, <laughs> but perhaps perhaps you are our age or younger. And so, um, you know, because in case you haven't guessed, Tanya and I are in our 40s. And so if you're younger than us, maybe this is even more real for you that these classics have gone away. And so maybe the, this is a curious conversation for you. <laughs> but shifting gears now back to Dalmatians, which is what you came for, right? Yes. <laughs> Well, and I just want to share because you can always make connections in books and this does go to an adaptation, but my family, especially my husband and I really love My Fair Lady and we, (laughs) we like to joke about the song about why can't a woman be more like a man? My husband and I just think we we love that song. I know. 
And I love the line where he says, like, I've become accustomed to your face. It's just my one of my favorite lines. And so in 101 Dalmatians where it says, Mr. Dearly wasn't exactly handsome, but he had the kind of face you don't get tired of. I was like, oh. I'm so glad you brought up My Fair Lady because I really had My Fair Lady vibes when I was reading Dalmatians. Mm -hmm. It really, to me, felt like these were like these these could have been their dogs. Yes, it like set right. in that time period, right? In that right. style. Except home. Henry Higgins yeah, wouldn't have put up with a dog. <laughs> true, true. But Henry Higgins was independently wealthy, and he was important to the government. You know, oh <laughs> so yeah, just like Mister Dearly in that regard. <laughs> Me as well. So I was just envisioning the whole British yes. feel. Yes, right. Just that. Like where they lived, because it describes like what part of London yeah. they live in, and you just get the countryside, and it is it's such a great way for a child or American family just to immerse a little bit into British yeah. culture, and that feels enchanting, really fun and exciting. The way it was, and yes, enchanting. <laughs> and you might have to Google a few things to figure out what they're talking about. Not a lot, but like yeah, what what's mean? the area? <laughs> you know how to place yourself in their neighborhood, understanding the words they're using to refer to certain. Like the muse. What are the muse? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably good for this episode to just do a very short synopsis. I decided this was going to be my flagship book club for my library. So I have like a dozen mm. young people coming from ages like 14 down to seven coming to have a Dalmatians book club at my home in two weeks. And I'm Yay. so happy to be rereading <laughs> it again. So friends, so you understand this story because it, because it is so different from the movie. Let's just tell you, the, the story centers on three adult dogs. In the movie, there's only two. They conflate two of the female characters. So Pongo and Mrs. are a married doggy couple who have their human pets and they live a life of luxury and they have a wonderful large litter of puppies. It's so large, in fact, they need a little help. And so through an interesting set of um, circumstances, their pets find another doggy, a mommy doggy, who can come and help them with all their little puppies. But the evil Cruella de Vil is a animal skin collector, and she thinks the puppies would make a beautiful coat. And so she arranges for their capture so that she can raise them up, fatten them up, and do what evil people do to puppies. And so this could have been a story about the humans going and helping to find the dogs, the puppies. But the humans don't even realize that it's Cruella who has stolen the puppies, but the dogs, the dogs are smart and they have figured it out. And so the dogs, we get this charming scene in which the dogs go out for their nightly walk and they use the dog telegraph, (laughs) the barking telegraph, the barking news. They go out and they bark their despair and distress And it is carried from neighborhood to neighborhood throughout the entire region, spreading word. And every night when they're going for their walk or every every time they go out for a walk, they're waiting for news. And the doggies bring back the news across the telegraph. And it's adorable because you're thinking, oh, so this is why my dog is always barking at 9 p.m. with all the neighborhood dogs. They're sharing the news of the day. And so the dogs then set off on an adventure 
to rescue their puppies. But when they get there, and it's a charming, exciting, delightful story about the journey to getting to the puppies, and it moves very quickly without much dwelling on scary things. It's really much more about the in, the exciting adventure and the very fascinating animals they meet along the way. When they get there, they realize their puppies are just a few of the puppies that Cruella has stolen. And then they have this ethical dilemma. Do they rescue just their puppies and safely transport them home, leaving all the others there to die? Or do these two dogs try to move 98 puppies across the countryside and back to town? And that's the adventure. This is a story where the dogs are doing noble things. They are Mm -hmm. doing what they have to do doing the right thing by rescuing all the puppies and not just their own, making really tough decisions. And then the community that it takes to do that. We don't have the um, just incredible, unbelievable aspect of two dogs doing this all by themselves. That would be unbelievable. And I think that's one of the ways that the movie falls down is that you don't get those other characters to find out that it took a community of animals who cared enough to help them along the way to find the puppies and to bring them back. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I I really, when, I think when I read it again later, I had forgotten some of those characters and thought, oh my, that's really, I'm not sure who the main character is here. Right, right. It's very hard to know who the main character is. We, we've talked about that a lot. Is it Pongo? Maybe. I don't think it's Mrs. No. But I don't think you can have Pongo without no. Mrs. And I don't really think you can have Mrs. without Perdita. And really, what are they if you don't have the colonel? So I don't know. It's a it's a real it's an ensemble. So friends, we're really passionate about this book, but really we think anything we would say here would just be a spoiler anyway. So it's really important that this is one you gotta track this one down at the library or um, you know, buy a used copy or whatever. Let's just be clear, it's very confusing about what to buy. So I've bought five copies, and not all of them have actually been the book. (laughs) So we will definitely, in the show notes, link to BiblioGuides where you can see the different editions, and then you can follow that to Amazon or Thrift or wherever to get the right thing. Uh, You definitely don't want a picture book. I learned a lesson. I bought one that came from the UK that looked like it was 101 Dalmatians spelled out H-U-N-D-R-E-D, not 101, by Dodie Smith. And when it landed, it was a picture book and it was really strange adaptation, did things that weren't even in the book. So definitely go check BiblioGuides to see which edition to get. You want a chapter book that's about 200 pages by Dodie Smith. That's really what you're looking for. Don't obsess about illustrations. If you fall in love with this book and you want to become obsessive about the illustrations, there's some cool stuff to do with that, but that can be a treasure hunt for a different day. And I think just like the final thing that I would say is that reading books together as a family creates experiences that your children will never forget. And I think as you have children that grow up, there's going to be certain memories that they're going to hold to. And I think there's certain experiences of read alouds that they will remember. I think this book can help create 
the a memory because yeah. it's funny. It paces mm-hmm. really well, right? I think one of the things you hear from families who are trying to read older books that have richer writing is that they're boring or harder to get into or you're 15 pages before the story starts or it's highly descriptive and children get lost in it. So, But then what you worry about is that if it is really fast and adventurous all the time, that it's just kind of twaddly and it's an adrenaline rush, right? So an author being able to write a book that paces appropriately, hooks you from the beginning, is funny, is adventurous, is heartwarming, is family building. It's rare to find that combination so well done. And I think what we're trying to share today is that this is one of those books. Mm -hmm. It should be on a top 100 children's list. It should be on a top 20 family read aloud. I would say top 10. Like hands down. Yeah. Top 10. Yeah. And if you're just – and especially if you have a range of children. Like I had a range where we have an eight-year gap. So even now I could say I'm going to read it to the eight to 22-year-old. And it would be enjoyable for everyone. Everyone would think this was a great family experience versus having your older children feel like I'm having to suffer through this for the younger children or the younger children being lost because they can't um, consume the language or whatnot that's for an older child. This just hits because the mark. I I just check, it's check, written check, check, check. at the level of thinking of a dog. So it's a, it is, there's a complexity to it and yet a simplicity. And so it really does land for everybody. Yes. Well, I would say about that, Tanya, you were talking about how great it is for a read aloud. I didn't read it with anyone. I read it several times with myself, all you know, closed in my little world of sitting on the couch, staying home yeah. from school, having a cold, <laughs> and never got to mm-hmm. talk to anybody about it until now. Mm. And I'm so happy <laughs> about that because you guys, yeah. partly because you're out <laughs> recommending it that other people read it, finally... <laughs> I've had this. Yes, yes, I've had this in my heart for all these years, and nobody else has ever loved it. And I'm so happy. (laughs) Yay! Yeah, and don't you think that's the other thing? Is a child could read this, and they could have read it five times, and you could still do it as a family read aloud. Absolutely. And that's brilliant. Rather than a child saying, Mm -hmm. "Well, I've already read that one," I think you'd have your child coming and thinking, "Oh, yay!" I think let's do it again and let's do it as a family and have it read aloud. Yeah. I just it doesn't this get is boring. One, it could be your standard car ride book. Like you know you're going to grandma's and you're going to be in the car for a few hours. This could be the one that you you put it away and you take it out once a year when you take that car ride or the one that you put in the camper and you you pull it out every time you go camping because everybody would enjoy it. And especially if you have animals, your own understanding of the story is going to change because of the animals that you have and how they influence how you see the book. I will, I do have one real caution though. Mom and dad, hope you want to get a dog. Just say it. <laughs> it's going to be really hard to get out of this book and not want to adopt a dog. I mean, if the dearlies are good enough to adopt a hundred, you could certainly manage one, right? However, I will I will add to that. I had a neighbor several years ago who had a Dalmatian and she was distressed because so many people, because of that movie, thought they wanted a Dalmatian. Oh. And she said, you can't just go get a Dalmatian. They need so much care. No, no, they no, need no, the no, special, no. No. you know, you have to walk them all the time yeah. and you have to do all these things. So people were getting Dalmatians and then not wanting them anymore. So yeah, no, go, go, get, go get a golden doodle. <laughs> yes. Get a golden doodle. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yes. yes. 
go ahead and get a golden doodle and get it from my breeder and you can come here and I'll meet you. <laughs> and, and if you're curious what a miniature golden doodle is like, you can just follow my Instagram because my dogs are all over it. <laughs> One thing you might want to know about this book is that there are some, it is a book of its time. And so as such, there are some areas that might be considered content considerations. And this is one of the reasons why we love BiblioGuides so much. If you go to BiblioGuides, if you have a membership, you can read those content considerations and see that there's a scene with gypsies that you might want to understand the context for that and, and some other things. Nothing that's a deal breaker, but mom, you might want to know these things in advance. Sarah and Tanya, this has been so fun. Let's do it again sometime. Right away. Okay. Yes. Let's do. <laughs> Soon. <laughs> Friends, we would love to know if you like this format. We are going to try to move in the direction of smaller, shorter, more targeted discussion about particular books. Diane is laughing as I say this. And <laughs> our desire is to make it more digestible for you. We want to know, is this successful? Does this work for you? Do you like this? Do you not like this? What books would you like to see us read and chat about? What's on the list that you've always wanted to know? Bonus points if it was a movie so we can do the comparison. Friends, we love this so much. We are feel so, so grateful for the opportunity to be able to read together and discuss this. But we are particularly grateful that you share the gift of your time with us by listening in. So until next time, friends. Friends.